Today's reading will come from John 13, 34, and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Please be seated. Good morning. It's good to be together this morning. Appreciate your attendance. Appreciate the time that we're able to spend in worship together. Has anybody here ever heard the name Rembrandt? I believe I'm pronouncing that right. Feel free to correct me after the worship service if I'm not. If you've studied art history, you've probably come across his name before. He's remembered as one of the greatest visual artists of all time. He was a Dutch painter who lived in the early to mid-1600s. In 1642, he painted a piece that he titled The Night Watch. It's a painting that depicts one of the officials in Amsterdam City Militia ordering his people, giving them commands, telling them what they need to do, telling them what they need to accomplish. It was in 1715, whenever this painting was being moved, whenever it was being transported, that something really bad happened to it. On all four sides of the painting, on the top and the bottom, on the sides, whether intentionally or unintentionally, people don't know, strips were cut off of the painting. For about 300 years, it remained that way. For about 300 years, it wasn't its original size. For about 300 years, this painting did not have the original details that the artist worked into it. That was until 2021. In 2021, there were some, some computer scientists who used artificial intelligence to recreate the parts of the painting that were lost. They used some, some, a, a copy of the piece of art that was by another artist at the same time, during the same time period. The artificial intelligence, after millions of tries, was able to recreate the, the colors that Rembrandt used. He was able to recreate the style that Rembrandt used in order to recreate the sides of the painting that were lost 300 years prior. The result was restoration. After the the computer intelligence, after the artificial intelligence restored the size of that painting, restored the original details of that painting, it was restored to what it originally looked like and what it was originally meant to be. Restoration is important in almost every area of life. Whenever things are broken, whenever things are not working properly, whenever things are lost, whenever things are missing, they need to be restored to their original intent. It's true with paintings. Like we just talked about with the Night Watch from 1642. It's true with old cars. Have you ever seen someone take a really old and beat up car and restored it to make it look like it was brand new? To restore it and make it look like it's a luxury car? It's true with houses. Have you ever watched shows like Fixer Upper where they take old, they take beat down houses and they restore them to something that's pretty great. They restore them on both the inside and the outside to make them look brand new. It's true in our town, isn't it? 
in our city, the, the home that we live in, we drive through it every single day. There are still things that need to be restored as a result of the tornado that happened in December of 2021. Restoration is really important. Whenever things are broken, whenever things are not working properly, whenever things are missing, whenever things are lost, they need to be restored to their original intent. It's true with art, it's true with cars, it's true with houses, it's true with the town that we live in, the city of Mayfield. It's also true with Christianity. Within the churches of Christ, it is our goal, it is our aim to restore the church that we read about in the pages of the New Testament. We're not interested in being another Protestant denomination. We're not interested in being just another evangelical church. We want to restore the Christianity. We want to restore the church that we read about in the pages of the New Testament by restoring its essential beliefs, by restoring its essential practices. We want to go back to God's Word. We want to be the one body that we read about in Ephesians 4 and verse 4. We want to be the church that Jesus built in Matthew chapter 16 and verse number 18. The church over which Jesus reigns as head, Ephesians 1 verses 22 and 23. This is our concern and I think it should be our concern in every area. In every area of Christianity, even in every area of our lives, we are to be restorationists, restoring broken things to their original intent. This morning, as we think about that overall idea of restoring New Testament Christianity, I want us to, con to consider the love that we have for one another. Restoring our love for one another. I want to take a poll just really quick, I'm going to, just so you can prepare yourself, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. If you don't want to raise your hand, then you don't have to, but I'd really like you to. Nobody's going to force you to do it. But I want to know, raise your hand if you have ever seen a Christian be unloving to another Christian. On three. One, two, three. That's about what I thought. I, 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 that's, the, that's the answer that I expected in response to that question. You notice that my hand went up. You want to know why? It really doesn't have anything to do with other people. It doesn't really have to do with anything that I've seen in other people. It has to do, first and foremost, with what I've seen in myself. What about you? There are times when I've been unloving to brothers and sisters in Christ. Whether to their face or behind their back, more times than I'd like to admit, I've been unloving to those who belong to the same Father that I do. Those who have been saved by the same blood that I have been saved by. I think we reflect on that poll that we just took. All the hands that went up. That shows us that this is a needed topic. That shows us that this is something that we need to consider. Something that we need to think about. Something that we need to study about from time to time. Restoring the love that we're supposed to have for one another. So, so as we think about that topic of restoring our love for one another, I want us to ask two major questions. The first question that I want us to ask is the question, what? If we need to restore our love for one another, what exactly do we need to restore? If this is what we're going to be focused on, if this is what we're going to be talking about today, what is it about our love that needs to be restored? I want to suggest three ideas to you. Number one, we need to restore the standard of our love for one another. 
makes me think about a story about a man. This was before computers. This was before cell phones. When he would walk through town on his way to work, he would stop every day at the jewelry store. In the jewelry store front window, there was a huge clock. He would stand there and set his his wristwatch by the clock that was in the jewelry store's window. He did that every single day. Eventually, the jeweler noticed what he was doing, and so he went out to meet him and asked him, why do you stop here every day? Why, why is it so important for you to know the exact right time that you stop here at the same time every single day and set your wristwatch? Couldn't you do it just once a week or once a month? Why do you have to do it every day? And, and the man responded by saying, well, I work at the factory down the road, and it's my job to give the five o'clock whistle. So I need to know exactly what time it is every single day. The jeweler started laughing. He said, I think we're going to have a problem here. I don't know if this is going to be able to work because I set my clock based on the five o'clock whistle. What's the standard of this man setting his wristwatch? The clock in the jewelry store window? What's the standard for setting the clock in the jewelry store window? The five o'clock whistle that's given based on the man's wristwatch. You can see how they're going in a little bit of a circle there. Don't think that was going to quite work out for them. There's no telling what time it actually was. But we think about the love that we're supposed to have for one another. What's the standard? What's the standard that our love for one another as brothers and sisters in Christ goes back to? Consider what we just read in John chapter 13 and verse number 34 where Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Jesus says, I'm giving you a new commandment. This is a new commandment that I'm providing for you. A commandment to love one another. But pause, that's not really a new commandment, is it? If you go back hundreds of years before Jesus spoke these words, in Leviticus 19 and verse 18, God told the Israelites that they were supposed to love their neighbors as they loved themselves. So this command to love one another is really not a new command. So why does Jesus call it a new command? The command is not new. The extent to which this command is carried out, the standard on which this command is based in John 13 is what's new. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. That's not new. In fact, that's really old. But here's the new part of it. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. That's the standard upon which our love for one another should be based. My love for you is really not about you. And your love for me is not really about me. The love that we have for one another as brothers and sisters in Christ is based on Jesus. It's based on the love that Jesus has. The love that Jesus extends to each one of us. The love that we receive from Jesus on a daily basis is the love that we're supposed to be giving to one another. He says the same thing in the same conversation with His apostles the night before His crucifixion in John 15 and 12. This is My commandment that you what? You love one another as I have loved you. Then you go over to John's first epistle in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16. He says, by this we know love, that He laid down His life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. When you think about Jesus' love for you, what's the first thought that comes into your mind? When you think about how much Jesus loves you and the love that Jesus extends to you, what's the first thought that pops into your head? Do you think about the cross? 
Do you think about how Jesus was willing to suffer and to bleed and to die for you? Do you think about what John says here? That He was willing to lay down His life for us? If Jesus loves us that much, how should we love one another? If that's what Jesus was willing to do for us, what should we be willing to do for one another? By this we know love. Here's the definition of love. That Jesus was willing to lay down His life for us. And if Jesus was willing to lay down His life for us, then we ought to be willing to lay down our lives for one another. If Jesus loved us that much, that's how we should love one another. We need to restore the standard of our love for one another. The love that we receive from Jesus is the love that we are to give to one another. Is that what you do? Is that how you love your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you love those who are a part of this church family in the exact same way that Jesus loves you? Number two, we need to restore the message of our love for one another. We need to restore the message that's communicated by our love for one another. If I were to have a face that looked like this, what kind of message would that communicate to you? I'm not very happy. I must be mad at something. I must be angry about something. Let's say that I threw up my thumb and had a big smile on my face. What kind of message would that communicate to you? Everything's good. Let's keep going. Everything's right. Everything is as it needs to be. If I were to put my finger over my mouth and go, shh, what kind of message does that communicate? Everything needs to be silent. Everybody needs to be quiet. It's time to stop talking. What's the message that's supposed to be communicated by the love that we have for one another. We go to John, the 13th chapter in verse 35, as we read just a few moments ago. Jesus says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus says when we love one another in context, when we love one another just like Jesus loves us, the message that's being communicated is that we are disciples of Jesus. We are followers of Jesus. We are those who have given our lives to Him. He says by this, everybody's able to know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. The opposite is also true. People will not be able to see that we are Jesus' disciples if we don't have love for one another. It reminds me of a story that was told by Tertullian, a church father who lived from 155 AD to about 220 AD. He was talking about in one of his writings how Christians were being persecuted. They were being executed. They were being put into the Roman Colosseum. They were being thrown in jail. They were being put on deserted islands where they were completely by themselves. But he doesn't just talk about the Christians and how they were being persecuted and how they were willing to endure that persecution. Tertullian also writes about how the persecutors responded to the Christians. That when they saw the Christians suffer, when they saw the Christians experiencing difficulty, they walked away with one thought on their minds. Do you know what that thought was? According to Tertullian, here's what they said. See how they love one another. That's the message that was communicated by how these Christians were willing to suffer 2,000 years ago. The persecutors were able to look at them and walk away with one message. Look at how these people love each other. If somebody were to look at the Seven Oaks Church of Christ this morning, what kind of message would be communicated. 
If someone were to look at this church family this morning, would they be able to walk away knowing that we're disciples of Jesus, not because of how we worship, not because of the doctrine that we teach or the plan of salvation that we promote, would people be able to look at our church family and walk away saying, wow, I can see that they're disciples of Jesus. I can see that they're followers of Jesus because of how they love one another. We need to restore the message of our love for one another. The message that should be communicated is that we are truly Jesus' disciples. And then number three, we need to restore the application of our love for one another. We can sit around and talk theoretically from Scripture all day long about the standard of our love, the message of our love for one another. But until we actually invite it into our lives, it's not going to make a difference. Until the rubber meets the road, until it changes our decisions, until it changes our interactions, it's not going to make a difference in our lives. It's not going to make a difference in our Christian community. Going back to 1 John, the third chapter, verses 16 through 18, we saw verse 16 just a few minutes ago where John says, By this we know love that Jesus laid down his life for us. And if Jesus loves us that much, that's how we should love one another. If Jesus laid down his life for us, then we should be willing to lay down our lives for one another. But I have to be honest with you, I've never found myself in a situation where I was presented with the opportunity to do that. I've never been in the situation where I've had to lay down my life for my brothers and sisters in Christ. Does verse 17 hit a little bit closer to home? Does verse 17 become a little bit more applicable? Have you ever seen a brother or sister in Christ in need? Have you ever seen a brother or sister in Christ struggling? Lacking the world's goods, whether we're talking about food or shelter or clothing? Have you ever seen a brother or sister in Christ lacking and in need of things that you have? And you closed your heart to them. The question that John asks is, if we find ourselves there, I see my brother or sister in Christ in need, and I refuse to help them, I refuse to give to them. The question that he asks is, how does God's love abide in us? I think the obvious answer is that it doesn't. If Jesus laid down His life for us, we should be willing to go so far as to lay down our lives for one another. Well, if we're willing to go that far... If we're willing to lay down our lives for one another, shouldn't we be willing to help each other whenever we're in need? Shouldn't we be willing to serve one another? Shouldn't we be willing to share what we have with one another? And I think that's the point that John is making, that this has to take form. This has to take shape in our lives. It has to be applied in our decisions. Verse 18, let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. Like we said, we could sit here and talk all day about the love that we're supposed to have for one another. Don't love in just the way you talk, John says. Love in deed. Love in truth. Love in what you do. Love in your decisions. Love in sincerity. In step with God's Word. We need to restore the application of our love for one another. We can talk about the standard. We can talk about the message. But are we reaching out to one another? Are we serving one another? Are we sharing with one another? Are we expressing the love that we have for one another by meeting one another's needs? That's the question what? What needs to be restored about our love for one another? We can talk about the standard, the message, the application. But then the second question I want us to consider is the question why? 
Why would we take the time to talk about this this morning? We see the what. We're talking about restoring the standard, the message, the application of our love for one another. But why is that so important? Why is that something that needs to be restored? There are a lot of different ideas we could talk about here, but for the sake of time, let me just suggest three to you. Number one, we need to restore our love for one another simply because it is commanded. It is commanded by God. It is commanded by our Lord Jesus Christ. Perhaps you've noticed that all of the verses we use so far, and that's going to be true throughout the rest of our lesson, have come from the writings of John. Whether the Gospel of John or the letters of John. Did you know that John is oftentimes called the Apostle of Love? He talks about love more than any other apostle, more than any other New Testament writer. There's a story that's told about John that comes from a 4th century theologian named Jerome. That when John was old, when John was frail, he was no longer able to bring himself to the Sunday morning assembly. And so some Christians who were a part of that assembly would come and pick him up on his bed and carry him into the worship service. The way the story goes, as he was being carried, he would say the same thing over and over again. Little children love one another. Little children love one another. Little children love one another. That's what he said every single week for months on end. Eventually somebody asked him, John, why do you keep saying this? And maybe if you told us one week, two weeks, three weeks, that would be a good thing. But, but why is this the only thing that you say? Why are you telling us to love one another constantly? You know what John said? He says, because it is the Lord's command. And if we do that, we're doing enough. There's some doubt about the validity of that story. There's some doubt about whether that story is actually true or not. But the truth that that story communicates is 100% in step with the Word of God, isn't it? We need to restore our love for one another because it is the Lord's command. In John 13 and 34, revisit that for just a second. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you. This isn't a suggestion. This isn't an option. This is not something that Jesus is throwing out there to say, if you want to do this, then you can invest yourself in it. But if you don't want to do it, then withdraw from it. This isn't a requirement. No, Jesus says, this is a commandment that I'm giving to you. That you love one another as I have loved you. John 15 and verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another. And then in 1 John 3 and verse 23, look at the end of that verse. We are to love one another how? Just as He has commanded us. 1 John 4 and verse 21. This commandment we have from Him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. In 2 John in verse 5, He says it's not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but He says I'm writing to you an old commandment, one that you've had from the beginning, that we love one another. We need to restore our love for one another simply because that's what's commanded. That's what God expects from us. It seems like we have two options here. We can either obey God or we can disobey God. We can love one another and submit to Jesus or we cannot love one another and rebel against Jesus. Those are the two options that we have. Are we going to be obedient in this or are we going to be disobedient? We need to restore our love because it is commanded. Number two, we need to restore our love for one another because of the love that God has for us. This is similar to a point that we made just a few seconds ago. We said that 
in our love for one another, we need to love each other like Jesus loves us. Well, here this is a little bit different, but very similar. We need to love one another because God loves us. Because of the great love that God has for you and me, we should be motivated to extend that love to one another. Going back to John, in 1 John chapter 4, verses 9-11, through 11, John says, in this the love of God was made manifest. It was, it was spread out among us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we've loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation or the sacrifice that turns away wrath. He is the propitiation, the sacrifice for our sins. How do we know what love is? John defines it. He says this is love. It's not that we've loved God, but that God loves us. How do we know the love of God? We know the love of God and that He sent His Son into the world so that we can have the opportunity to live through Him. We know the love of God when we see Jesus hanging on the cross serving as the sacrifice, the propitiation for our sins. The sacrifice that turns away the wrath of God from the sinful choices that we've made. We read 9 and 10 and and we're overwhelmed by how much God loves us. God loves us more than we can comprehend. God loves us more than we can understand. Sending His Son into the world. Putting His Son on the cross. So how are we to respond to that? Verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. John says, Beloved, those who are loved by God, If God has loved us in this way, then guess what? We need to love one another. We need to restore our love for one another because God loves us. We need to be motivated by the great love that God has for us in order to extend that love to one another. 1 John 4 and verse 19 simply says, We love because He first loved us. We sang that just a few minutes ago, didn't we? We didn't love first. God loved us first. And because He loved us first, we have the responsibility to love one another. And then number three, this is one that really stands out to me. This is one that stops stops me in my tracks. We need to restore our love for one another because our salvation is dependent on it. Have you ever heard somebody use the phrase that you need to do this as if your life is dependent on it? That means you need to fully invest in it. Quite literally. Our spiritual lives are dependent upon the love that we have for one another. We might be tempted to look at this as no big deal. Well, I love the majority of of my brothers and sisters in Christ just like Jesus loves me. But there's those, those one or two people that I don't really like. We sit on opposite sides of the auditorium. I make sure that our paths don't cross. We don't get along very well. Notice the severity of this in 1 John chapter 2, verses 9-11. through 11. He says, whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. It's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Again, it's one of the main themes in the first epistle of John. You can make as many claims as you want to. You can claim to be in the light as a Christian as much as you want to claim to be in the light. But if you hate your brother, notice that singular. It's not plural. He says, if you hate your brother, then you're in darkness. One of the great truths of the Christian life, one of the great blessings of following in after Jesus is that we've been transferred out of darkness into light. If you hate your brother, you haven't made that transfer. If you hate your brother, you're not in the light regardless of what you say. You remain in the darkness. 
In verse 10, whoever loves his brother abides in the light. In him there's no cause for stumbling, but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, and doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. 1 John 3 and verse 10 talks about two different kinds of people in the world. There are those who are children of God and there are those who are children of the devil. John says it's evident. It's obvious to make a distinction between the two. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor what? Nor is the one who does not love his brother. If we're not loving one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, we don't belong to God. We're not of God. We're not able to be His children. If, if we're not loving one another, John says that we are children of the devil. 1 John 3, 14 and 15, just a few verses later, we know that we've passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever doesn't love abides in death. Just like we've passed out of darkness and into light, John says we've passed out of death and into life. And one of the ways that we know that, one of the signs that we've been saved by God is that we love one another, but what if we don't love one another? We're not abiding in life. He says we're abiding in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. This is going back to Cain, who is mentioned just a few verses before this. John says, if you hate your brother, that's equally as sinful in the eyes of Jesus as murdering your brother. And you know, he says, it's common sense that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Connect the triangle. What's the message? If you hate your brother, you don't have eternal life abiding in you. In 1 John 4 and verse 8, it's a simple yet really profound statement. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. If, if we're not loving one another, then we haven't come to know God because that's who God is. God is love. That third idea up on the screen, does it stop you in your tracks? Does it make you think twice about how you treat your brothers and sisters in Christ? how you think about them, how you talk to them, how you talk about them. We need to restore our love for one another because the salvation that we've received from God is dependent upon it. Restoring New Testament Christianity, that's what we're all about. We want to go back to the Bible. We want to be the church. We want to invite the Christianity that we read about in the pages of the New Testament into our time, into our day, into our culture. That's not just about how we worship. That's not just about what we teach or the plan of salvation that we put forward. It's about the love that we have for one another as members of God's family. Restoring that love for one another when it's missing, when it's broken, when it's lost. We need to restore the standard, the message, the application of our love for one another. We need to restore it because it's commanded. Because God loves us, motivated by the great love that He has for us, we need to restore our love for one another because our salvation is literally dependent upon it. And so we reflect back on everything that we've seen. I think an appropriate question as we close what kind of changes do we need to make? What kind of changes do you need to make? What kind of changes do I need to make in how I love or how I don't love my brothers and sisters in Christ, those who are part of my Christian community? Let's love one another just like Jesus loves us. Let's communicate to everybody who's willing to look that we are disciples of Jesus
by the way that we love one another, let's fulfill His command. Let's fulfill this responsibility. Beloved, if God so loved us, then we ought to love one another. Maybe there are some invitations that need to be extended. Maybe there are some conversations that need to be had. Maybe there are some text messages that need to be sent. Maybe there are some phone calls that need to be made. Maybe there are bridges that need to be built and relationships that need to be repaired. Let's love one another just like Jesus loves us. We can help you to do that this morning. We love to as together we stand and sing.